Welcome to Wielding Legacy. My name is Laura Payne Stanley. This podcast is for high achievers, visionaries, creatives, coaches, and consultants. Because the key, the key, the key to unlocking your future lies in legacies. You see, I know you are here creating an impact in your industry. You are here building a legacy for you and your family. And it drives you and it occupies your mind. But through my work as a trusted advisor to extraordinary entrepreneurs, I know you aren't yet reaching your greatest potential in business, your performance, and potentially in relationships. I'm known with my clients for being their loudest cheerleader. I often believe in them even before they do so themselves. And yet you can't enroll me in your legacy limiting story. I'm your biggest empowering challenger as you create your ultimate legacy. This podcast is called Wielding Legacy because the key to unlocking your future lies in legacies. Welcome friends to today's Wielding Legacy conversation. And today I'm welcoming Melissa Ann. She's a health and wellness blogger, a mental health podcast host, and a full service brand strategist for small businesses. She's doing this all whilst raising a child single-handedly. I think the biggest thing for what is legacy for me is what is the, the impact you want to leave behind? And it can be different for everybody. It can be for some people, it's just a better future for their children. Or for some, it can be like being the first woman astronaut or being the first person to do this. In the summer of 2018, I got news that I was a widow. I had to go through not only being a single mom and working on a failing marriage. Now I had to grieve that I was now a widow and somehow maintain business and somehow maintain parenthood. This is another powerful episode this week. As Melissa Rand shares with us her story of creating a new legacy, when at 26, you find yourself widowed, a single mom to a young boy, and without the military career you dreamed of. I want to welcome today to Wielding Legacy someone who has such a rich story, and I mean that with so many different layers, of what legacy means at a, quite a young age and how that can impact you going forward. So. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Wielding Legacy, Mel. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. I was excited. I binge watched the last season. So I was like, what does she talk about? I, I was like, I love it because it's like mini, mini coaching sessions. <laughs> mini coaching sessions. And let's just dive straight in there with the question that I'm asking every season two guest. What does legacy mean to you? And I'm just going to follow up, which I don't want to do, Mel. It can be as long or short an answer as you want to be. Okay. So what does legacy mean to you? I honestly love this question. Um, it took me a minute to think about how I wanted to answer it, but I think the biggest thing for what is legacy for me is what is the, the impact you want to leave behind? And it can be different for everybody. It can be for some people, it's just a better future for their children. Or for some, it can be like being the first woman astronaut or being the first person to do this. And it's just showing this, like creating this impact that will like help the next generation is for me, what legacy kind of means to me. Okay. I, I love that. And you are not the first guest who's talked about like the imprint that we leave here once we are no longer on the earth. Um, and if it's okay with you, I, I said, 
as I welcomed you to the podcast, that you actually got a very rich relationship with creating legacy. Can you explain to the the listeners as much or as little as you want to what actually I'm talking about when I say that? So what's your story, Mel? Yes. So I come from, well, first I come from a background of like living off of welfare and living off of this. So I, in my own form of my creation of legacy is I'm moving out of this poverty poverty mentality and also growing a business, which is the first, I'm many first in my line and like learning about the mindset of that. So that's part of the legacy that I'm working on is getting out of that poverty mentality and proving that you can go after whatever lifestyle that you want. You don't have to do what societal standards say. So because of the, the lifestyle that I grew up in, I decided to join the military. So I became an army medic because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like everyone told me to go to do this. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I just left for the army instead. I did what everybody told me not to do. And I joined the army. And, <laughs> and so I was in the military. I was a medic. I was going after my dreams and then um, kind of started to fall into the typical, like my lifestyle of like my mom and everybody. Uh, they got married young. They had kids young. And I was like, I'm not doing any of this. And then I got pregnant <laughs> And so I got married young. I was 21, almost 22 and expecting a child with somebody who I barely knew like a couple of months. And, and that time period, I got out of the military. I lost what my career and my identity I thought was going to be and had to restructure myself and figure out what success looked like, what career looked like um, while navigating a complicated marriage and a soon to be mom life that I was not planning to have anytime soon. Um, and through that, I had to deal with a lot of internal things for my own self. And, um, my late husband at the time was using substances and he had overdosed while I was pregnant. And these were all things while he was in the military. So I didn't share it with anybody because I didn't want him to lose his career over it. And then, um, yeah, I just navigated into the entrepreneurial world because as a military spouse, um, I don't, I know you probably have a lot of different listeners, but military spouses tend to have to move every other year or two or three. And so to get like a normal nine to five job is kind of just unrealistic unless they can let you work remote, which before 2020 wasn't really like a thing that many businesses. Definitely, definitely an upset, a kind of uplift that's happened from the pandemic, isn't it? The remote working is now standard, but it wasn't then, was it? It was, it was. No, it wasn't. It was very like unicorn to be able to work from remotely. And so, or it was like a scam. They're like, oh, it's a remote job. You can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had to dive into entrepreneurial world, which is where all of those limiting beliefs from childhood and all these things started to come into play, but it was the only way to survive. And so I got into wedding photography and like branding and website design and things like that. Um, just to try and find a way to find my own identity outside of soon to be a mom in a failing marriage and all of these things. Um, and that was from 2014 through 2018, which was this back and forth of working on a marriage, not working on a marriage, working in my business, stressing about my mindset and like poverty mentality. And can I even do this? Um, and then in the summer of 2018, I got news that I was a widow. And so I um, was hoping that we could work on our marriage. He was supposed to be finishing up his schooling um, within a couple of months. And then 
he died. He had ended up like having another substance issue in that time. It actually took him out. And so I had to go through not only being a single mom and working on a failing marriage. Now I had to grieve that I was now a widow and somehow maintain business and somehow maintain parenthood. Um, and so I uprooted my life a handful of times. I'm, I think in my third house, <laughs> fourth, I don't even know right now. Um, but I've had to just navigate a lot of different obstacles that I think most people don't really have to do before the age of like, I turned 30 this year. So a lot of, um, navigating before I turned 30 and figuring out what healing looks like and what success looks like. And, um, letting go of certain labels. I know everybody says like, you know, success isn't linear. And I was always gauging it off of like a monetary side um, and learning. And, and then I completely like negated like all of the success that I had from my mental struggles or from like generational, I guess, generational curses, so to speak. And like mm. healing from so much trauma that I just kind of like through to the side. I was like, Oh, but it wasn't like that traumatic. Like people had worse situations happen. And, um, yeah. So last year I actually ended up writing a book cause I needed to heal somehow. I had been just stuffing stuff under the rug. And I was like, if I want my life to change, I need to start like unpacking Pandora's box. <laughs> that's like stuck somewhere. Um, and so I, that was kind of like the start of my healing journey and it, it got worse. It got way worse before it got better. Um, I finished it. If it's okay, Mel, I'd love to ask a question about that for the, for the listeners. So part of building your legacy now is this healing journey that you've, you've been through. And it was in writing your book, which is called from grief to gold. Um, yeah. So it's, um, a series of darkness or I'm sorry, a series of flashbacks darkness within, but it's under my from grief to gold page. Yes. Okay. So, so the brand is from grief to gold, but that's not the yes. book. Side. Okay, right. So that got quite a few questions from this. You you talked about the trauma that you you've been through, and again, like many listeners, they might be identifying of almost a comparison with trauma, such as mine's a little t trauma. It's not a big t trauma. Now, a big a little t trauma can be anything that happens, which can be as something as a teacher said something to you at school or how you coped with the situation. A big T trauma is bereavement and, and definitely some of the things that you've been through. And we can compare trauma. It's not, it's not as bad as that person. So therefore I don't need to heal from it. Where I'm hearing for you is that you've been through this healing journey. And apart from writing your book, if any listener now is realizing that actually they have been through big T or little T trauma, and I'm going to say this listeners, it doesn't matter whether you label big or T or small T, it's all trauma and we need to move through it. How did you start your healing journey? I would say first actually acknowledging that it's there, which I think can be easier said than done again with the comparison side. Um, I had to acknowledge, like, it doesn't matter if somebody else had it worse. Like, this hurt me. I was sad. Like this made me, this made me sad. Me moving all the time as a kid made me sad. Like I never had roots. And so that, that was a trauma. Um, and so just being honest with yourself about how this event made you feel. It doesn't matter if somebody else had it worse for them, at least because that's your comparison. That's not their, they could think you had it worse, you know? Mm. <laughs> and so just first like acknowledging that it even exists. And then 
I've done a lot of journaling work, um, listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> or YouTube, like therapists and things like that, sharing about what, what is small T and li- like little and, you know, big T trauma. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is just acknowledging it. And like I said, with writing my book, like I had to go back into my own childhood things and like, well, why, why, why do I react in this way? And kind of just sitting there, um, there's kind of like this awkwardness, especially if you're a really busy person, because you have to sit down and just be, <laughs> and that's not always very fun, but um, yeah, I, I just, I kind of got forced in my own way. I didn't necessarily want to acknowledge it, but then I started diving further down in a hole financially and I started diving further down a hole mentally. And I was like, okay, something has to change or I'm, I'm going to be stuck. And so journaling was my biggest book. How, sorry, how did you start oh. writing a book? How did you start with a blank page? Where do you start writing this book, especially if it's a book based on trauma experiences? Well, um, I kind of did it. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it the way I did. But okay. I basically, That's brilliant. <laughs> we love a what not to do because everybody can take like what not to do and here's how to do it. So that's good. Yeah. So what was your like, method? There were, there were, not? Yeah, there were blessings in it, but also not so great blessings in it. Um, but essentially like, I decided to write my book because I, at the time I was working on my master's of social work, which I've decided maybe I won't go towards because there's a million other ways that you can go towards the same direction. But I, I was having a lot of flashbacks and triggers and falling into like my depressive state and like, you know, secluded, like sleeping stages. Um, and so I was like, I need to work through this. And so I decided to do a pre-sale with my Facebook friends and like people, I was like, Hey, if y'all want to pre-order this book, basically, basically my mindset, I was like, if people are going to pay me or donate to me writing this book, I'll write it. (laughs) And then I got people donate to it. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, (laughs) I guess I got to write a book. (laughs) Okay. But that's account. You had you, your mindset created some accountability for you because it had been so easy for you yes. to have started and not done it. So actually I see that as a positive that your mind went, okay, yes. how can I not get out of this? How can I actually have like now I owe people this? So I have to do it. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. My my negative is the timeline that I gave myself because my true procrastinating ADD <laughs> self was like, you're gonna you have four months to write a book. And I was like, well it's about my trauma. Like it's about my life. Like how hard can it can it be? <laughs> But like, I, at the, again, like it was like, I kind of, you know, part of trauma is you block out so much stuff that you didn't realize you blocked out until you're in it. And the other side of it, which is again, with the things I wouldn't do is I didn't have a therapist. I, one, I didn't have the financials to pay for a private one. And two, because I have the military, like I do have the option, but there's a timeline, like sometimes they're months out. And I was like, okay, well, I'm writing the book right now. Like I need someone right now. So I guess I'm just going to have to like, like go on it on my own. And so that's where I would say like my biggest was like, if you are writing about your trauma or like a hard time in your life, like definitely having some type of mental support while you're doing it, because that was a huge cause of me spiraling into where I've been the last couple of months and just finally coming out of, because I didn't realize while you're writing a book, it doesn't matter if you're not in that moment, still your, your whole entire body thinks you're in that moment. And so I was reliving all of these really traumatic events that happened over a course of years 
over the course of four months. And that is a lot to put your body through. (laughs) And so it put me into this like depersonalization, derealization for much longer than the book actually took me to write because I not only was I in these different timelines in my life, but my body was like, am I still in this? Am I okay? Am I safe? No, I'm not safe. And so it was just completely disconnected and the scariest experience of my life. (laughs) But that's where I would say like not to do what I did is like giving yourself a lot more time because one, you're probably healing from a lot of memories. You didn't even realize you still had, like, as I wrote the book, this memory came back up and I was like, Oh, I don't even remember that. Oh, I don't remember this. Like it's like blocks of your life are gone. And so while I'm super thankful that I created that accountability and I knew I needed it because I need those deadlines or I won't do them, (laughs) but doing it as quickly as I did, I wouldn't necessarily recommend and doing it without mental health. And again, it really depends. Like if they're writing a book about something fun, go for it, do it in four months, give yourself a deadline because I also had to embrace imperfection. Like I have my book on my shelf right now and I already skimmed through and I already knew the errors before I even printed it. And I was like, you know, it doesn't matter because that's what another edition is for. Let me pick up on what you're saying, Himal, because this is really beautiful for any readers who, and listeners, I'll say readers because you've said book, but listeners all who are watching on YouTube right now, that if we're writing a book that's, based on past experiences, even if you're not necessarily labeling them as traumatic, be aware that they may be traumatic. Make sure you have a support system in place for those um, traumas. And the word PTSD, because when we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, when you go back into memories, what you're describing, Mel, is that your body was reacting and had gone back to a situation as though it was happening in real life, real time. So you were you're, you were physically reacting to that situation as, as though you were there. So it is, it is very important to make sure you have the right level of support around you. Because um, even bullying, it could be something as simple as getting bullied, but your body feels like you're there. Again. Yes. Again, if you're if you're exhibiting those kind of symptoms, absolutely. Okay. Give yourself a longer timeline to realize that actually this is not a kind of get it done project, but this is a healing project, and you might want to do it. You might leave it alone. You might come back to it. You might just you know need some time off from it as well. But also get yourself some accountability. If you're going to do it, don't don't necessarily have it as another thing to to start and not finish so having accountability is great and the way that you did it mel is is awesome again because it was help funding it as well but give yourself that nice longer timeline when you've got some accountability in that yes okay so once you've done the book and the book's now done how does that feed into the legacy of, of that you are creating and what would you say your legacy that you are creating because you said I asked you what was legacy but what legacy do you think you're creating I would say the biggest thing with my book as far as legacy is like I'm really big on and I didn't think this like when I was younger but like compassion and like understanding and um realizing that like not everybody is as evil as you think they are <laughs> And I know that's kind of like a strange, like a form of like a legacy maybe, um, but just like more empathy for the world. It's like the world peace, you know, kind of like mindset, but um, you know, my marriage was not the greatest. Like there are a lot of things that weren't great in multiple areas. And I worked through that with the book, but also 
realizing that we are our own people and we are going through our own situations and being able to like help people like with me writing my book, even people who I've talked to who are writing their own books were like, I didn't even think to add in an empathetic lens. I was like, what? Like you didn't think, but you know, it's just like, I'm able to help people realize, oh, you know, there is a second side of the story. Like we all know, oh, there's two sides of a story, but like when you read it and you read somebody who has been through all this hurt and then still being able to be like, but he was also hurting is, is something that I want to be able to showcase. Um, but also my form of legacy is being able to prove that you can do it. And like, cause I was always told, well, either we couldn't afford it or we, I was told that I can't do it. Like, Oh, like you need, you need something more stable. You need this, you need this. And it was never like, what do you want to do? what do you want to do? Which is kind of where I, when I mentioned the whole army thing. I was like, well, screw y'all. Like I'm going to go join the army and figure out, I'm going to go travel Europe. I got stationed in Germany. I'm going to do my own thing and figure it out from there. Um, so my form of legacy and it's with my son too. Like he started his own little YouTube channel and he's been beating himself about it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you can succeed. You just like, these are the things you got to start working on. Um, but being able to like get through my own negativity, and like help my son be able to see that like he can do what he wants to like he can go after the business that he wants to do or if he wants to be a doctor or if he wants to be an astronaut or what you know whatever he wants to do he is able to do it um it's kind of like my form of living a legacy and just helping people like understand forgiveness better and understanding that it's not for you or it's not for them it's for you <laughs> and like this compassionate lens i think as like cliche as it is like the world would be a better place if we just understood wherever like where people were coming from and how they're not attacking you they're just seeing it from their lens and you're seeing it from your lens Mm. and this is something we do in coaching often we call it perceptual positions in terms of there's actually three truths there's your truth there's their truth and there's actually what happened and we we have we have a perception of what happened based on those narratives from the past so If someone's been going through something, whether it's in business or life right now, and actually they may be aware that their compassion lens, as as you call it, Mel, isn't that uh, clear, let's say. It's kind of cloudy. They kind of know this stuff, but they're not seeing it like that. How do you move from trauma and hurt and anger and sadness? How do you move through to compassion? How would you think that someone could do that? How would you advise them to do it? I would say the first thing is give yourself grace and time. It, I, it, even in my book, I write, it took me three years. I was, I was so angry for three years. And then I went on a road trip to a place where we had last seen each other. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like I was so mad because he wasn't doing this. He wasn't doing this and he wasn't doing this, but he hadn't seen this. He hadn't done this. Like this was going on in his personal life. Um, And I think you have to just take a step back and almost like pretend like you're the third person watching each other's lives. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is just that third person um, obstacle. Like you're, you're looking at at their frame and sometimes you need to hear it from other people, but I really think it's a time thing because like while you're in it and in those emotions, you're not going to see the other side. You have to just take a breather, take a step back meditate whatever you need to do to like let those emotions go and it's not that they're not valid but it's to be able to see again a clearer lens and being able to see in the third person because when you're when I'm mad that he didn't interact with us for six months or when I'm mad that this and this happened 
I'm not taking the time to be like, he was super depressed. He just lost his career. He just made another mistake. He's beating himself up right now. So he doesn't want to interact with you because he feels like a failure. Like I didn't acknowledge any of that until three years later. Granted, there was a lot of things that came up with it, but just remembering that it's not, it doesn't have to be this immediate thing. You don't have to be like, wake up like, yeah, all that stuff just happened yesterday, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Cause that's not being authentic. And this is where toxic positivity can come into it in terms of we we set unrealistic timescales of, yeah, all this stuff's happened and pull yourself up by your bootstraps again, very kind of military terms, and you're fine, crack on again. And it the toxic positivity comes when we deal with grief is we don't necessarily allow enough time or healing or space or realize that, you know this, but listeners might not realize that grief processing is not linear. And it doesn't mean it might not come up out of the blue when you feel like I'm done, I'm out acceptance. And then suddenly you'll go back to anger or negotiation again, because something will come up that will trigger you from maybe a part of the healing that you hadn't done, or there was another layer of the healing. And I think that's really important to remember that it's okay to not be okay. But in that sentence, I actually sometimes think that can be dangerous because it's okay to not be okay, but take some action reach out to somebody, find a friend. Who's your support system? Who are you going to talk to when you are not, when it's okay to not be okay? What are you going to do about it? Because I'm sure there's been times when you've gone in your head, it's it's okay to not be okay, but actually sometimes crawling back into your bed isn't the best thing for you. Actually meeting a friend, going for a coffee, going for a walk, getting outside would have helped that next part of the healing. So can you share more with our listeners about the link between physical and mental health for you? And then if you can, how that helped you get on back on the road to creating your legacy? I would say, well, there's mental and physical and chemical, (laughs) all the things like the endorphins that you get and um, from exercising, but I think the biggest thing is just that momentum and it's like those small steps. And so as you, I've always noticed this, even like right now, I'm not in my best physical or nutritional side, but I noticed that it all kind of comes in pairs. Like as you're taking better care of yourself physically, you start noticing, Oh, like that food doesn't make me feel good. Oh, this doesn't make me feel good. I want something that's going to nourish me more. And as you're nourishing yourself or your, your body is like, Oh, I'm getting the vitamins and nutrients. Like I'm getting what I need. I feel better. And so it's like, I always say it's this catch 22 where it's like, it's okay to like eat like crap for a couple days or the week or, you know, whatever, not all the time, but you know, like we all heal in our own ways. And so like, you know, if you're eating pop tarts or like ice cream and you know, whatever, like feel those feels like, don't beat yourself up about it, but realize that it's this catch 22 because all of those things are not helping you. (laughs) Like they might feel like they're helping you and like soothing you for right now. But as you start, like it's, I know a lot of people who come on and off of diets and things like that, like they'll notice a difference. Like, Oh my gosh, like I had carrots and I had peas and like my body just felt so much better. Like I started eating those fruits And it's like the nourishment that we're giving our body, the physical, like our body needs to be able to breathe and it needs to be able to be outside and needs to be able to do these things and 
to go back to like, it's okay to not be okay, but also like go push yourself a little bit or like creating that accountability. Like for me, it was going to those classes. Cause then they're like, Hey, like, where have you been? Like, why haven't you been showing up? So you're getting those call outs versus, or like hiring a trainer. Sorry. <laughs> My voice is going away. Um, or like hiring a trainer. Like I wanted an accountability coach, um, for, my physical health, but like, I couldn't find anybody. They're like, no, we can do all this stuff. I'm like, no, I know what I need to do. I just, I want you to like, Hey, where are you at? Like, are you going to the gym? Like, and then I ended up hiring you for my business side. Cause I was like, I know what I need to do. I just need you to call me out when I'm not doing it. And so, um, yeah, I think the physical and nutrition aspect is like, it's the whole, like you are what you eat. And so when you're eating like trash, you're going to be tired. Like I can tell a huge difference when I'm drinking, like, and I'm not against drinking. Like I love beers. I love a good whiskey. I love all the things, but I can tell if I'm too much because I'm more lethargic the next day. I'm more this. I didn't get quality sleep. And there's tons of studies that will say that alcohol is terrible for you. There's still that atmosphere and there's still this and that, but it's finding that fine balance between like what feels good for the soul and what's good for your body and Mm. being able to hide have that healthy balance between the two. Talking about balance, how do you then grow successful businesses whilst raising your amazing cheeky son on your own? How, what would be your advice for somebody else who is in a similar situation, who's on their own, but wants to, to grow a business that needs to be successful because it's got to sustain the family unit? I would say first off stepping back (laughs) and acknowledging like where like how much time you actually have and giving yourself grace and that's something that I've had to work through I actually I'm I have my mic on it right now but I have a planner where I actually write down how much I actually got done during the day and that includes like I spent time with my son I I did this I nighted that um but figuring out what works best for you because I know that was something that me and you worked on during my business coaching, I went through like five different business things and I beat myself up so much about it because single me, single me had all of these ideas. I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. But then reality came in and all the time that I needed for my son and schooling and how much sleep I needed to get. And like going to grocery store and putting a wash on and all these other things. And, and me being a solo parent, having time for, for his events as he starts doing sports or, you know, plays or things like that. Um, and so I had started out with like wedding photography, but then I was like, I'm the only caregiver and I don't have the extra help. Like if he gets sick, I don't have like, you know, there was all these things that would come up and I was like, okay, I am so stressed out and anxious every time a wedding comes as much as I love this during that other stage in my life right now, that's just not where I'm at. And so I constantly had to like come up against these obstacles and ask if it was either me just making an excuse or if this was something that I needed to adjust because I'm a mom and also coming to like with me doing like more of an online aspect because I I've tried a number of times to have a nine to five job and it just doesn't work <laughs> like as as much I was like no I'm just making excuses but I I had to call in sick like every other week because he was sick or he couldn't go to school and like you know post like 2020, if they have any slight anything, you have to keep them home for like three days. And jobs don't like that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't have any other choice but to be successful. And so like learning to, again, work on your mental side. So for me, a, a huge aspect has been poverty mentality. It's hard, 
even with me being in these groups and I get really excited when I'm like, oh my God, they made $50,000 last month. Like that's more than I've ever made in a year. Like, like, but being around these people being like, oh, so people, people do make more than like $1,200 a month, you know, like things like that. And like having to push myself into these, if you can't afford like the actual groups, like watching the YouTube videos and like being in groups where people share their success stories. And it's not to be like jealous or envious, but being like, holy crap, like there is really that much money just sitting out there waiting for me to accept that I can Mm. make that. Um, so I think a lot of it is like the mental and again, like what does your balance look like? Like, how can you, like, for me, I need to work on online courses more than one-on-ones because I am literally the only caregiver for my child. I don't get dad gets to see him. I don't get like my grandparents, like a lot because I had my son so young, like I have a handful of friends who, who have their parents, but my parents had me young. And so they're still working. I don't have, Oh, you're going to just go to grandma's for the week. Like my parents work all day. (laughs) So like, there's a lot of things where for me, it doesn't work, but for somebody else, it might work. And so it's, so no, you're it's saying know, know your blend, know your balance that you mm-hmm. want to do, know your parameters. You've got to create a business model that works for you. You can't keep trying to make your, your business model that doesn't fit the time. And that was def- definitely something that we worked on was your ability to try and create things with limited time and actually the bit that kept giving was your sleep or you're not doing things because actually there was too much in there so what we're saying to anybody who potentially is a single parent right now is you've got to create a business model to create a legacy for you and your children that fits the time parameters and the resource parameters whether that's family or everything else depending on your child's needs that you've got there is no point creating a business model that doesn't fit even on paper, before you even get to the reality of it, and it will always take you longer than you think. It, if it doesn't yes. fit on paper, it's never going to work, is it? So I think that's yes. a great. Like, it's taken me like two years to finally come out and be like, okay, this makes sense because this gives me time for my son that I need. Because something was like, oh, that's going to financially meet my needs, but where's my time? I have no time. Like, <laughs> so yeah, like finding that you the what was it the Venn diagram yeah, or the a nice little bit in the middle. Yes. Yeah. And it can, and when you talk about poverty mindset and we're talking about um, generational and legacy mindset. So when we talk about legacy, I talk about legacy past and legacy future. And many people don't realize that they're holding on to legacy stories from their past. And if you're holding on to a poverty mindset is there's never enough money at some point in my life, it's going to go away again. This is what's going to happen. When we create business models, what can happen is people will create a service. So whether it's wedding photography or coaching or something else that actually has a high return or high kind of hourly rate, but is one-to-one. So it's not sustainable because that poverty mindset kicks in going, the money's going to go again. I need to sell something quickly. Let me do something really quick. Let me do something and earn a lot. But actually, ah, I can't, I can't keep this momentum up because it doesn't fit my life. And I think that's something we need to be aware of in poverty mindset. Yeah. Cause it's great. Like, Oh cool. Like I can make like $3,000, $5,000 from this, but then it's like, Oh my gosh, how many do I need to do of that versus, Oh, I can, I can attract like 50 people and I only had to do this thing once. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to ask you about your brand then. Um, I saw on the website when we talked from grief to gold. Now, some people might be listening and thinking that's a bit of a strange title from grief to gold. I know um, why you've called it gold, but can you tell the listeners why you you've called it from grief to gold? Yes. So there is this, I I believe it's Chinese or it's like an Asian art form and I can't remember how to pronounce it, but I love 
Kintsugi. Yeah, I was like, I think it's Kintsugi, but there's another one that they say, like they're yeah. like, there's two different words. And so I was inspired by that because I've got a lot of different broken pieces. And so I have been finding a way to build myself back up again. And the beauty of this artwork is that they take all the broken pieces and they mend it with either gold or silver. And so it's normally like a pottery or like a glass or a plate, instead of just throwing it away, they create something new out of it. And so my whole focus was with, with from grief to gold is that you're able to take all these broken pieces and mend something new. And so it's not that you are throwing something away. It's not that you are rebuilding the same you. You're creating something new out of it and finding the beauty and the brokenness, essentially. Oh, I love that. And I love, I actually have some Kintsugi pieces um, that I bought because they are incredibly beautiful. And if you if you want to see what we're talking about, then I would, there'll be some links in the show notes below. And it is it is absolutely beautifully done. And actually, the point is that often the pieces are stronger when they're reassembled with the gold or with the silver than they were in their original state, which is a beautiful, beautiful kind of metaphor running through this, isn't it? That we can't change those things that happen in our life, but we can change how we heal from trauma. We can change how we move through trauma. And actually, we can come back stronger if we give ourselves that time, Mel, and I know this is what you've been talking about, the time, the grace and the self-love to rebuild yourself in that stronger form. Yes. I love it. Okay. So as we wrap up, what do you think you are your three non-negotiables when it comes to building the legacy for you and your son? I would say authenticity is the one that always comes to my mind is being authentic to myself. I think along the journey, especially as entrepreneurs, we're given all of these different ideas of what legacy is, like the fancy cars, the fancy this, the fancy purses, this and this and this. And so I found myself like, oh, I want this and I want this. And then sitting back, I'm like, do you really want that? Like, do you? Do you really want that? Like, no, you want a forerunner. You want to be able to go camp. Like, you don't want any of that. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? And so for me, legacy, the first thing that comes to mind is authenticity. Um, I actually have my little, um, not everyone will be able to see this unless they're on the YouTube, my little vision board of like, I want time to be able to bake again. When I was little, I loved baking. I wanted to have a bakery. Now I don't Now That's just a passion. I don't need to make money out of everything, but <laughs> I, I have down that like having time where to be a kid again. And so part of my legacy with authenticity is also just like this freedom. So like authenticity, freedom, and I'm trying to think of like a third one. Um, but essentially just like being true to yourself and true to like with me, like finding the joys in the little things. And it doesn't need to be what everybody else considers legacy. Like maybe somebody wants to have a library named after them. I don't have an interest in the library being named after me, but I think it's, there's this beauty and the authenticity that we can all create the legacy that we want. And it is true to us. Um, I think yeah, just authenticity and like compassion. Like I mentioned, like compassion, forgiveness, um, being able to, even with my son and I, like us being able to grow this understanding that I didn't have as a kid, I was rarely heard. It was always like, oh, this is you, you're doing this, you're doing that instead of being heard and having compassion for, for my feelings. 
And so being able to carry that on with my son, it's like those little things. Like I know you've mentioned, I think in some of your podcasts where legacy doesn't have to be this trust fund that you leave behind. It's, it's the, the generational change of, of what you bring down. I don't know if that's three of them, but I think it <laughs> was more, you're an overachiever Mel. So I think it was more than three. And I think it's, that's another point I've said so many times on this season two of the podcast that when you're listening to these episodes and you hear about legacy, everybody's legacy is different. And somebody want, might want a library named after them. Somebody might want the fancy cars or the fancy handbags. That's not, and we're saying fancy and almost that can sound derogatory. But if yeah. that's you in terms of when I say, but that you want those things, there is never any judgment in the legacy that you want to create. As long as Mel said, it's authentic to you. And it's also not a generational legacy. So we've talked a little bit about that today, but you don't want something just because somebody in your family wanted it. That's generational legacy. That's not you. You're borrowing somebody else's legacy. And also you can put that down. You can decide that that might be great. And also you can change your mind. You can decide you don't want it right now, but you can decide you want it again in a year or two years. So being authentic to yourself as you create your legacy that's what true legacy is, isn't it? This is what you were saying at the start of the interview. Yes. <laughs> it's creating something that is above and beyond yourself, but is also tr- very much true and inherently runs through yourself. Yes. Any last final words on summing up legacy for you, Mel, as you go forward in your life? I would say just go after that like intuitive feeling that you have. Um, if you actually listen to it, it won't steer you wrong. (laughs) It's when you don't listen to it that you run into troubles or you, you go into, I wish I would have. And Mm. I would say, despite it being not necessarily the route that I would have chosen for myself, I'm really grateful for all of the random intuitive decisions that I've made because they've helped shape me into who I am and can help me grow into the legacy that I want to leave. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you for being so honest and sharing your your story with me and the listeners, Mel. Thank you for having me. It has been said that with a big enough lever, you can move the world. I've spent my life figuring out how to use that lever to move my own world. And in doing so, I help extraordinary entrepreneurs do exactly the same for themselves. So I want to offer you a perspective on what gives you the greatest leverage in your life to create wealth, health, and happiness. It's called legacy. And the lever to your legacy is within your reach. If you'd love to know more about this, go to laurapainstanley.com forward slash legacy.